I want to get back to this idea of if an agent's listening and they want to raise their average price point, how do they do it? How did you do it? Well, you just concentrate on areas that have a higher price point, you know, and you, uh, if you're going to do any prospecting, if you're going to do anything, go to those areas more. Um, now, I happened to move to an area with a higher price point, um, but it took me four or five years to actually realize that I should be doing business there. Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent, and welcome to Success Calls. This month's top agent is Chuck House with Keller Williams in Memphis, Tennessee. Welcome to the call, Chuck. Thank you. Hey, Chuck, it's great to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us today. Real excited to talk to you about your business. Before we talk about what you're doing today, though, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. So before I got into real estate, I was uh, with a family business that did metal stamping and fabricating. I worked as an engineer and uh, supervisor of uh, production staff. And how long did you do that? So about seven years. And was that like right out of college? Right out of college. And then actually I did real estate and that for a while. And then at some point I just went ahead and made the break to full-time real estate. Let's break, let's dig into that just for a minute. So first of all, why did you decide to get your real estate license? Well, I was actually one step back, actually, I was doing real estate investing, uh, buying and flipping and buying and, and holding. And, uh, I missed a deal that I thought I should have made. So I went and got my license so I wouldn't miss that same house again. And uh, it kind of evolved over time from selling, helping sell my listings, of course. I could get them on MLS, I could find more deals, I could get commission on the deals I was paying somebody else commission for. And then a few friends would say, hey, you seem to know what you're doing, why don't you sell my house? I said, I don't really do that for other people but I'll be glad to do that for you. And by the way, you know, you're buying another house and there's a $10,000 commission. So it was attractive. And um, at some point um, when I came to Keller Williams, they had the millionaire real estate agent model, um, which was interesting to me. Um, it took me a while to finally implement it, but uh, you know, having a model, having a, a, a plan um, was not something I started out doing. And then I, I started doing less and less investing and then 08 made that decision for me. Um, so I then uh, was headed that way anyway, but I decided, you know what, I've got this model, you know, I should do it. So I halfway did it for a little while. And then in 2013, I fully went all in and developed, started developing a team and set a goal of 100 houses. And uh, we had 98 houses. And on uh, December 28th, I'll never forget this, someone called and they said, hey, you know, we get that closing on the 3rd. Do you mind if we move it up to the 30th? Because it's a cash deal. And of course, the seller was already out of the house. And we had both sides. So that gave us our 100th deal. So I learned a lot about goal setting that year, you know. Um, so from then on, we've done 100 houses every year. Um, and this past year, we did 109. Right now, um, we're on schedule to do quite a bit more than that this year. Um, probably over 120 deals this year. Yeah, this, that's fantastic. I want to go back uh, and, and dig in a little bit there uh, to some of those early days. You said there was a transition period where uh, you, were, you were kind of in part-time in real estate. You were doing some flips. Um, not sure if you were still doing the fabrication and the engineering. Uh, right, we did drop that because I was able to go full time just doing investing. And when was that? So you said you've had your license for about that was like in '97. '97. Okay. Okay. So back in '97. So '97 to 2008. You said you went full time 2008. Did I get that correct? Well, I was full time before that, but I was I still did some of the investment stuff. Um, and frankly, the reason I did was because I wasn't making enough money 
just being an agent to do the things I wanted to do with my family. And uh, since, even though that we went through 08, 09, 10, even though we went through all that, I made enough money just to be an agent and still have a nice life with my family and go on vacation and have cars and, you know, buy kids new shoes and stuff like that to be fairly on trend anyway, you know, and, and you know, say, have the stuff you want to have. And uh, then starting in 2013, when we started implementing our plan and really working our plan, um, you know, we've been very blessed and I don't have to work. I took off. Yeah. I don't have to work all the time anymore. <laughs> right. So prior to 2013, when you ran the team model, were you an individual agent, a solo agent? First, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. So my wife and I were both agents. We were sort of a team, you know, uh, and we just, but we just, we didn't have a plan. We listed houses. I think we did a good job selling them. We did a great job for buyers buying houses. But we didn't have a specific written plan. We didn't have a specific goal. Our goal was to do as many as we could do. And uh, it was something magic about writing that number down and telling people. I told a lot of people about that stupid number. I want to come back to that. I'm not going to leave that alone. But I want to get the run-up to that because okay. it's going to connect with people that may be in that, in that groove right now, right? So I want, to, I want you to flash back mentally to that time and tell us about you know, how many closings were you having each year? You said you were kind of, you and your wife were running as fast as you could and you were trying to keep up and you had to have this side income with the investment properties. Well, we would do 35 deals one year, 52 the next, 47. So we're kind of, we were doing 6 million to I think our best year ever was 10. Got and then it. we immediately went to 25 million. <laughs> but we were back and forth, six million one year, seven million, eight million, seven million. You know, there was no rhyme or reason to what we did. It was just the deals we happened to be doing at that time. So the year that you set the goal, 2013, for a hundred closings, the year prior, it sounds like you were doing half of that, something around forty or fifty units, maybe. Yeah, we did twelve million the previous in year. One year. So go ahead. We doubled in one year. Yes. Okay, and you attribute that to writing it down. Now we wrote say, it down. And we hired an assistant, and I remember talking to her, and she said, well, I don't really want a full-time job. And I said, well, that's perfect because we don't really want to commit to paying you full-time. <laughs> we have no idea how many hours you're going to be working. We'll guarantee you 20 hours a week and guarantee you won't work more than 35. We're not sure what you're going to be doing, but the first thing you need to do is get out a newsletter every month for us. And that's the first, and well, the first thing she had to do is make sure we had good addresses for all the people that had been calling me up from time to time and saying, Hey, are you still in the real estate business? That's, that's this, the, at least the second time you get that call, you need to do something. The first time should be the wake up call. I got it three or four times. And finally it occurred to me that I had a group of people that were very satisfied with my services but they weren't even sure if I was still in the business. So it was very, you know, so we, we got that list together and we started mailing to them. We called them all, told them what we were doing. Um, and for the first five months, we had a few people say they got the newsletter, but not much. And uh, after that, we got a few deals here and there. After one year, it just started pouring in. But we did get deals between five months and one year. But the, after the one year is really when it started pouring in. And it got so much easier. This business got so much easier because I was dealing with people that already knew, know, knew me, liked me, and trust me, or their friends. You know, So it became a much different business for us. Do you remember how big that list was that first time you put it together with your new assistant? 125 people. 125 people. And that launched this thing and helped you double that year. Uh, yeah. I want to go back though. I, I, I know I'm kind of pushing you back into the past for a minute, yeah. but I want to talk about that year. You set this goal and everything took off. You said you wrote it down. I want to break this down. You wrote it down. Where did you write it down? 
when and how often did you review it and how did you review it? How did you stay on target? Did you use any visuals on any walls? What specifically were you doing that was helping you get in that mindset to double? So we did. We kept track of closings. That's all we kept, you know, we don't want to track. We didn't want to keep track of too many things, so we, we did closings. So we estimated how many listings it would take to get how many deals. And our at the time, in 2012 and 13, our, our mindset was however many houses we listed were how many we would sell. So we wouldn't sell every listing, but we would sell buyers also. So it would come about that. So we figured – you know, uh, I think we ended up taking 57 listings and selling 50 of them and selling 50 buyers. So, um, but yeah, we did that. We, we checked every month to see how we, no, we didn't, which was a mistake. Looking back, we didn't check to see, we did just write it down, but we didn't concentrate on how many listings we were taking. We were just saying how, how we were on track to get it. But just the act of that kept us going pretty well. And I think we had done 50 or 52 in the first half and did, 50 or 48 in the second half. I can't remember now. It was a while ago, but we did keep track of it often. Um, and when you, I don't know that it, we did. Where it. did you track it? Did you have it in writing somewhere? Was it on a wall? Was it, it was on the wall. It was on the wall. What we did, and I'll show you, we've got this right now. Let me see if I can do this. Um, we have charts. I don't know if you can see this, but yep. we have charts with our closings, but you can see the pieces of paper, what they look like. Um, there, there are charts that you can buy at office supply store, and there's there's uh, there's adhesive at the top, and they've got some lines on there, but they're they're faint. And so we just we wrote down the number of listings, the number of uh, buyers, and the total, and that's all we did. You know, nothing fancy. So powerful, so powerful. Uh, yeah, we used to use dry erase markers um, on a board, a big giant board. Yeah. And Mark, we've got one of those too. Now, be able to see it right when you walk in, yeah. you know where you are and where you want to go. We've got great computer systems now, but we still have this thing sitting up on the wall every every day when we walk in. Oh, I hope everybody just listened to what you said. So you said you have a computer system where this is all being tracked, but you put it up on the wall because you want to see it, right? It's yep. a little more physical. Yep, absolutely. Uh, very nice. Thank you for for doing that with me and flashing back. And uh, what a great story. And then you mentioned that once you hit that uh, goal of 100, uh, you've been able to maintain that. Not only hit it, but maintain it uh, every year for what's it been now, seven years or so? Seven or eight years, yeah. So what, yeah, so it's been, honestly, it's pretty easy to maintain because we keep mailing to the same people. We, uh, we get 70% of our business by referral and repeat. And then the other business is basically answering the phone responding to emails about our listings. Um, and we do do a little bit of paid Zillow, not much. Um, and we respond to those. And uh, we do do open houses and follow up with people in open houses. But that's kind of what we do. We don't do a lot of uh, other stuff. And uh, we haven't had the need. Now, we do track every single sale for the last eight years. I have, um, I have a record. I have the... And I would say it's at least 98, 99% accurate. Uh, it's 100% accurate, but sometimes there's two sources. You can't really tell for sure, so we just choose one of them. But my point is we keep track of every sale because if you think about it, you know, you may not know where a lead came from, but you know where a sale came from. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty big deal for us. I mean, our average commission is $9,000, so um, a little over. But, you know, so you, you remember where that came from. So it's important to know that because you can divide that back into how much you spent and you'll know what your cost of closings are. Let's talk about, um, you know, we're kind of jumping around, but we're filling in the blanks of the story, which is kind of fun here. So let's, let's keep doing that. Uh, back okay. in 2013, prior to 2013, it was just you and your wife, correct? And then you brought in the part-time, 20 hours a week. Uh, they didn't know if they wanted to go full-time. You didn't know if you wanted to pay it. And then, I yep. understand that. I did the exact same thing part-time. I was going to split it with somebody else, and then they fell off the last minute. I had to go full-time by force. But you kind of edged into it. That first year that you hit 100, did you have just one part-time assistant? So I had one part-time assistant who probably averaged 28 or 30 hours. Of course, me and my wife are partners. And then we, about midway through, we did hire a buyer's agent. 
okay, so the first year, you, by the end of the year, you have four people. You had Correct. you and your wife listing, you had a buyer agent, and you had an admin person. Yeah, and my wife and I both, but my wife mostly were still doing buyers. Okay, so you were doing buyers and sellers, and you were bringing somebody in to help with the extra buyers that were coming along. Yes. Okay, yes. good. And then uh, did you run uh, in that formation for a while, or, or did you start to bring other people in the following year? No, we ran in that formation for a while, and um, then that buyer's agent um, broke off, started her own team, or, you know, to go out on her own now, she's got her own team. And so uh, we had, just by luck, we had a client call us and say she's wanting to get in real estate, but... Um, she didn't know where to start. And um, when we met with her, she said, you know, I don't really have any job skills for real estate except for I'm good at cold calling. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, yay. <laughs> so we met, we met with her very quickly and, and she, um, you know, became very successful. Um, shortly after that, we had someone find us, a, an assistant. She had been an assistant for three years with a team in another city and, um, I mean, I knew immediately that she was going to be great. And, um, so she came on and she's actually our contract to close person. So at that point we broke it apart from contract, to from listing manager and contract to close manager, or we call them closings manager. And so we broke those two jobs in, in half. Now our, our volume continued to go up, but mostly through just our average sale price going up. Our, our level of service kept going up the whole time because when you have a team, ideally you'll be able to give much better service, and we do. So through that service, it makes our business so much easier because we don't have to go out there and advertise. I'm Chuck House number one, all this kind of stuff. So, you know, uh, we don't have any mass medium, you know, advertising about our team. Chuck, let me ask you, you, you've been running at about 100 units now for seven years, which, by the way, before I ask the question, that's phenomenal. But there's going to be people listening are going to be saying, well, why didn't you go to 200, 300, 400, or 500 over those seven years? Well, I will tell you that there's two reasons. Uh, one is a, is a misunderstanding on my part about how hard it would be and how risky it would be to expand to that level. So I would not be in charge of everything at that point. Um, I don't necessarily want to be in charge. I'm not dying to be in charge, but I do want every customer to get great customer service. And that's, to me, if you have to go out, so if you, what I realized at one point in this business was I was very jealous of who were in the insurance business because they had residual income. And what I realized is if we do a great job, keep in touch with the people and let them know we're doing a great job, then we have residual income too. So I never wanted to outrun my team in business. So, um, we, uh, and it's hard to expand your team. When you want to grow your team, it takes a lot of energy. When you want to keep it at the same place and do a great job, it doesn't take nearly as much. You still have to stay on top of it, but you don't, you're not working 80, 90 hour weeks and stuff like that. So, um, but what I found is if I keep doing that and I keep getting more and more business without advertising, without, and I'm only dealing with people I want to deal with. I'm not dealing with those people that are impossible to please those people that are that I used to deal with that I do everything for them and now they're mad at me. I just don't. So um, that's why I have not expanded because I've intentionally kept it where I knew I could do it. Now, what I've done recently is we came up with a new business model, seeing a bunch of teams that kind of got stuck around the 200 um, person model where instead of having a listing person, a buyer person, an admin person, we now have an admin person group we have a sales group and then we have a lead generation group that's a that's a professional marketing person that i've hired um who was doing marketing for 13 years before i hired her so now that's how we're expanding our business but the people we have in place we have a capacity to do about 180 deals a year and still have the same level of service with no more staff so i'm very comfortable with that well very good chuck i I thought you were going to go a different direction. I thought you were going to tell me that you kept it small intentionally to keep it profitable because usually a smaller team has a high, much higher percentage profit margin than a big team. And I just figured you were making a great profit, want to keep that baby rolling. Uh, well, and 
because uh, I'll know, be honest with you, that's a be... big part of it. That's Go a ahead. big part of it because the the uh, yes, absolutely, that is correct. And I do know a lot of people that do twice as much business as I do that make the same or less, and they have a lot more headaches. So th th that's that's ab absolutely part of it um, because of our, our customer acquisition cost is so much lower than theirs is, and right. our staffing is so much lower. And I'm only dealing with that. That's absolutely part of the, the calculus. And I didn't know though how to grow it any other way. So I didn't, I ref, not refused, but I just didn't. So we now know how to grow it with the same level of profit. I mean, we average almost 50% profit on every dollar. That's not just my dollar, but that's our team dollar. That's beautiful. That's today, the last couple of years, net profit yes. about 50%. Do you remember back in 2013, 14, when you were just getting started, you even had a smaller group? Was your percentage of profit higher then? So, yes, it was because my wife was a full-time buyer's agent. So, depending on it, look at that. So, uh, our profit margin was like 53%. Our lowest profit margin has been 43%. Our highest since then has been about 47%. Um, but it's all, this is a wonderful business. When you think about your, uh, your actual income and you consider your friends that own other businesses that owe millions of dollars on their commercial buildings, have employees. I have great employees that are all, you know, very uh, competent people that are, you know, manage themselves more or less. And I don't have whiny PR, I mean, HR problems, you know. Um, so I consider this a great business for that reason. And, and plus I love dealing with the client. So, you know, and I love real estate. So, you know, I kind of <laughs> love it all. So I'm very <laughs> lucky to be able to do it all. Uh, I love it. I love the model. It's great. And again, all we're, we're only about success and, and proof of concept here. You've got one that's working and I want to know what you're doing. So you, you have now looks like, say you're kind of in an expansion mode though. You think you, you want to go to another level. Uh, you've got some more people in. Tell me about what the team looks like today. What what are the just give me a big structure and umbrella look at what the team is today, the positions so, and what they're responsible for and how many people are there in each one. So we have six and a half people basically. We have six full time person people and one our original buyer's agent, the one that contacted us, uh, not original, but the one that we hired who was not in real estate who came on, who, who killed it, frankly, did a great job, and she's a great buyer's agent. She decided to spend more time with her family, so she's working part-time only with her database people, and she did, last year, $1.6 worth of business. So she made, you know, a lot of pocket money, put it that way, and then we made a profit off her, plus we got to keep, you know, all the people that she had dealt with for referrals and stuff like that. So it turned out to be a big win-win. So we've got her as a, a half-time buyer's agent. We still, we have one full-time buyer's agent, my wife and I. So we only have one basically buyer's agent right now. And then we have, um, same thing. We have a, a, a listing manager. We have a uh, closings manager. And then we have our uh, director of marketing or lead generation. So really what happened was by by change by by changing to this, our percentage of, of listings has gone up. Now what we're wanting to do is continue that on that rise, but have the uh, buyers get pretty close to that. So that's gonna take a minute, but right now what's happened is we've been able to increase our sales, but listings are much more profitable for us than buyers because buyers, the, the buyer's agents are on their split before we even pay for anything. And we pay 100% of the cost of, of the business and the advertising and the leads, and then we get 50% of the revenue. So, um, that whereas with the, the listings, we're basically getting it all. Now, it costs us a lot of money to hire that person um, because, you know, those people don't come cheap, but, um, you know, it doesn't take many listings for her to pay for herself. You know, and then after that, we're getting um, about 90% profit. Let me ask you, uh, one of the things people always ask when they're putting together a team, they're concerned about how they should set up their compensation model for their agents. Uh, what have you figured out over the years? What works best for you so far? So, I mean, what we've done is, is what we do, this is what we do, is we do a 50-50 model for buyer's agents um, on buyers. 
no matter where the listing came, you know, the lead came from, that's what we do right now. And then if they, they have a database of the people they bring on to begin with, if one of those people lists their house, then they get 25%. If they are able to take a call or one of their former clients they got through the house team, then they get 10% of the listing size. So that's just what we do. Different people have much different ideas about that, plus or minus. We, we don't really see any reason for our buyer's agents to list houses. Uh, and we don't want like our director of marketing. She does not, she has her license. She does not sell our, she, she does not sell houses unless it's to her, one of her close friends and she sells one or two a year. Our, uh, listing uh, manager has her license. She did not sell houses. You know, she never has, but if, again, if she sold her mom a house or something, that'd be great. But we do not have, if they want to do that, they can become a buyer's agent and they'll go strictly 1099. So I've got uh, basically the way you've arranged it is your buyer agent is on a 50-50 split with all buyers, no matter what the source. I've yep. got that you uh, have a 25% referral fee paid to the buyer agent when they bring in somebody who lists with you and ends up uh, selling that property. That's and, from their database. Uh, say again? That's from their database. Right. It's from the database that they handed you when they walked in the door, right? You require Correct. them to hand yes. you the database that says, These are my, this is my sphere of influence, which by the way is a really good idea. I hope you have an agreement as well. Sometimes we do, and they have 90 people. days, by the way, to get that in, meaning, because they normally don't think of everybody in the first, when they first walk in the door. We just give them 90 days. Good, to so, come up with the list or add to the list in case- To add to the list. They have, they have to have 80 names before they can even get started. I mean, if you can't, if you don't know 80 people, then you don't need to be a realtor. <laughs> right, <laughs> very good. Excellent, thank you for walking us through that. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealGTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. Let's do this, you know, Chuck, so everybody can get to know you a little better. Let's just do a quick speed round and make sure everybody has some grounding. Uh, first of all, what's the name of your team? It is the house team. The house team. Good. Somebody can look you up. Um, and is that what it is, uh, thehouseteam.com for somebody to look you up on? So it's thehouseteam901.com. 901.com. Good. Is that your area, uh, area code? That, that's our area code. And that would basically encompass – all of our business. So everything we would do, you know how it is now though. Everybody's got numbers from everywhere, but if you were, but the zip, the, we don't go out of any, you know, we don't have a really wide area. For instance, we, we border up to Mississippi and Arkansas. We do not go over there to sell anything. We, we refer all that business out. So yeah, 901 is where we are. So it's houseteam901.com. And your, your service area is? It's Memphis. Uh, it's the Memphis area of Tennessee. So it's Memphis, Germantown, Carnival, uh, Bartlett, Arlington, Lakeland, Cordova. It's just the, it's mostly, frankly, it's in the suburbs of Memphis. Very good. And uh, you said, I think you've been licensed how many years now? So 20 years. About 20 years. Very good. And uh, last year, uh, I know you told us earlier, but tell me again, how many homes did you sell and what was the volume? 109 homes. It was 39 million, a little bit more than 39 million. 39 million. How beautiful is that? I got that your average sales price, I tried to do the math and back it out, was about 359, 359,000. Sound correct? That sounds about right. And that's been on a steady increase, honestly, probably with the market. But we've been intentional about getting a little bit higher. Um, so that's been higher in the last seven years. And frankly, before that, I didn't pay any attention to that. And <laughs> again, just whatever came, came. So right. that's been a, it was a revelation to me that we could move our price up and that the people weren't any more difficult to deal with than the other people. I'm going to come back to that. I want to come back to that. Let me just finish this quick round. I want to come back to moving okay. that price up. What was your percentage of buyers and sellers last year? Oh, last year it was a little bit. It's like 52, 48. Yeah, that's what I've got here. Uh, 52 on the sell side, 48 buy yes. side, basically even. Uh, in your career, do you recall how many homes you sold, what the volume was? Ooh, somewhere around, was it 220, 220 million? Yep, I got 216 million in volume and about okay. 867 homes 
and you said you didn't track very well in the early days, but but that was a pretty good estimate. So you're all just under a thousand homes in your career. Sound about right? Sure, sure. <laughs> Let's go with that. Uh, very good. And you are still in personal production. That was my other thing there. Let's go back now. I want to talk about something you brought up, which is you said you raised your average price point. Now you were talking about working with someone in an average price point. I want to get back to this idea of if an agent's listening and they want to raise their average price point, how do they do it? How did you do it? Well, you just concentrate on areas that have a higher price point, you know, and you, uh, if you're going to do any prospecting, if you're going to do anything, go to those areas more. Um, now, I happened to move to an area with a higher price point, um, but it took me four or five years to actually realize that I should be doing business there. I mean, I don't know why it didn't occur to me because I already had this other business established in a different area. And uh, so I intentionally just told people that I was a, a Germantown agent. And the, so they said, well, you must be a Germantown agent. I literally, two listings, we're the number one team in our town of Germantown, Tennessee. Um, last year, we did more than the last two combined, according to Zillow. Okay. Um, I don't know if that's accurate, but that's what it says. And well, I know we did more than anybody else. And uh, all of that business, I, I can trace back to two deals. Two deals that, you know, one was a, a friend and one was a, a friend of a friend who lost his job and had to sell quickly. And it was not a great time to sell. And we were able to get them both sold. So that was in 2011. And I can attribute um, within, what, five years or so, being number one in the town to those two houses. I want to point something out I heard that you say, and I get to talk to a lot of sharp people uh, in the industry, and they, they give me the same story you just gave, which is, how did you raise your average price point? I'll hear a lot of stuff, but one thing always pops out. I moved to a more expensive neighborhood. Really? We yeah, didn't do it on purpose. You just told me you said you moved yep. to that area where it was more expensive, right? We didn't do it on purpose. We moved there for the schools. But your mind now gets in that mindset of these more expensive yep. homes. You're living yep. there. Your friends now that your neighbors are in the more expensive yep. homes. The people you meet at schools are in. They're living in more yep. expensive homes, right? Uh, what a, one little thing could make a huge difference in your career. Well, I will tell you that. It, it, yes, no, absolutely. I think we've done a great job. I think we've been more intentional, but I will say that moving, which was unintentional, but is, 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 is responsible for a good portion of our success. Yeah, of that increasing in the sales price and therefore the volume and therefore the commissions and the profits. Um, yep. <laughs> it's, it's always so True. interesting to me. And, uh, and you did it as well, which is really cool. And I like that you didn't do it for that reason. You did it for the schools and the kids. But, hey, it had a nice side benefit. Um, in fact, I was a little bit reluctant to do it because I was moving away from my business. <laughs> you know? Right. Where your that's how unintentional that was. By the way, I hear that all the time, too. I, it was very difficult to make the move, and I was very comfortable where I was. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, But you did. Now, I want to make clear to people, you didn't just dump all your other business, right? It's just the oh, absolutely not. price moved up because you start to sell some more higher end, and then the averages were moving up, correct? Absolutely, that's correct. We, we still do that business. We just didn't intentionally raise. Uh, we didn't intentionally market to those areas, and so we, we basically kept doing those homes, um, but at the same level. So we did that while doubling and tripling the area somewhere else. So, yeah, that's no, absolutely not. Because, you know, we take business, you know, a lot of people think because our average price, and the average price in Memphis is like 177 So we're basically double the average price. Um, you know, they think, oh, well, you just only do higher dollars. I said, you know, the, the common denominator on our clientele is we deal with people that will, will follow our plan and they do what they say they're going to do. If they do what they say they're going to do and will follow our plan, I mean, I sold a, you know, $130,000 house a couple months ago, you know, just, um, and that was fine. You know, I was, I was happy to do it. They followed our plan. We got their house sold. Um, you know, it just, it just, you know, that's what we, we do. And, uh, but it all has to do with the fact that they, 
they either used this in the past, their friends used this in the past, their dads used this in the past, moms used you know, aunt or something. And uh, so we're happy to do it. Yes, absolutely. Let's dive into the source of business. You mentioned that you track source of business, which, by the way, is a great, great idea. Uh, you got to know where it's coming from so you can double up in those areas that are working. You said that 70% of your business is coming from repeat and referrals. And you've also mentioned that from the very beginning of that double cycle, you were really focused on a monthly newsletter. Has that been yes. the driver for all this repeat and referral business? I believe it is. We, you know, Keller Williams has a 33 touch program. Well, I was not smart enough to figure out how to run a 33 touch program. So I came up with my own plan. It's called the 36 touch program because 36 is divisible by 12. So I basically contact my database three times a month. So once is a written, uh, date, uh, written newsletter. And I'll tell you that we buy the content of that right now from buy referral only. We did another one, uh, service for life before, and I believe they're you know very similar in, um, the effectiveness. So I don't, I wouldn't get hung up on which one you do. As long as you have one that you can use, um, just do it. And then we send a, a mid-month uh, market update that's more information-based, um, but it's got our name on it, of course. And then we have four events a year um, that we invite our clients to. Um, and they, uh, so we, they get an invitation one month. Um, they get a, the, the, the event, the next month and then the next month we call them and just kind of recap and say we're sorry they didn't come or great to see them so we basically contact them uh three times a month in in different forms and uh yeah that's that's absolutely uh, i never get that call anymore hey are you still in the real estate business <laughs> you knocked that one out no stop what? that Let's break this down. I like it. It's a nice, clean, simple plan, and those are the best plans to, to execute. So you first have the, the monthly newsletter. It's physical. You're mailing it yep. out, correct? Yes. Describe the newsletter. What does it look like? So our newsletter, like I said, is the Bioforum newsletter. Now, we do, it, we do it on the yellow paper. It's the same paper every month. Um, it is a, it's four pages that are folded over, so it's eight pages. Um, it's folded in half and it has a, a stamp on it, of course. Um, we actually used to do them ourselves. We had stacks everywhere. Uh, we send out about 1100 a month now. Um, and then we, uh, we actually have them done by a company that does them for us. And I was thinking there would be some difference. Nobody's even can tell the difference. I mean, even, um, I think they do use, a uh, they do use one of those prepaid, uh, uh, bulk mail things I think but that's the only difference and um, so yeah it's once we send out the list of who to send it to it's done and then we make sure we mail ourselves one for two different reasons one people will call you and ask you about stuff in your newsletter and then when you haven't read your own newsletter it's a problem and then the other thing is we need to know when when about they're gonna get it so that's what we do on that and we do look through them and make sure that we agree with all the stuff you need to make sure um, I was set years before to start with the newsletter company and just for fun, I had said, Hey, send me a pre copy. And the first thing on it was when you make an offer, sellers expect a low offer, make your first offer 15% below asking price. And so I called him and said, Hey, stop this. I don't need this. You know, I, so I stopped them altogether before I even, I can't remember the name of the company, but it was not something we wanted any part of, you know? So, uh, we do. We'd look for you know anything that's going to be offensive. We take it out, and we have some other articles we've collected, and we do put some of our own stuff in there about the the stuff that's coming up, and we have a little contest, um, trivia contest, and whoever enters, there's a twenty five dollar maybe prize um, value, two two movie tickets or a twenty five dollar gift card or something like that, and then the other people that do respond that bother to respond, we send them a five dollar uh, Starbucks gift card. So this thing is, uh, it's yellow paper, black ink, you're buying yes. a template, you're taking yes. that template, you're modifying it to make sure that it doesn't have anything in there you don't like. Are you adding anything uh, that's unique to you to the template or is it just completely boilerplate? The, Are you the adding thing that sells from your area or anything else, statistics? And that one we do not. The only thing we put on our thing is about our upcoming, we do this trivia that's unique to us, of course. We do. 
um, the, uh, we didn't do upcoming listings. We do um, our events. We feature our events that are coming up. Um, but that's all we do. So the you key is to send it out every month. That's the key. Just send. Now, again, if you send, if you miss one month, just keep sending it out. Nobody will know. They'll think they didn't get it. Do you, have, send it do you have your picture on it, your faces, your names? Oh, okay. So we do have a cover sheet that goes out with it, and it has each member. Of, yeah, it does have all our pictures. So my theory is, if they're with, if they're somebody that's in the database of one of the other people, especially the buyer's agents, they think they're getting a letter from them because we all we all sign it. Now it's signed, pre-signed, you know, because there's a thousand of them or more, and you know, it's every month. But yeah, so they do. Yeah, we do have a cover sheet. I forgot about that. So in the cover sheet will be. Um, a very quick market recap and say if there's any changes, you know, on the house team or, you know, anything like that. So yeah, that will be, that goes with, and that's white paper and that's folded inside that. And again, they do that also. When they pop it open, there's this cover sheet that they get to see with black and white with your pictures on it, any updated information. And then yep. the core newsletter itself, does it have your pictures and names on nope. it? It does not. No. Just maybe the team, just the team. It does have our team. It does have our, our description of, of uh, it does have, I probably should look at that. It does have like our team members and what they do, their, their positions. Okay. Do you have any call to actions in either the cover letter or the newsletter itself? Are you asking them to call you to get a list of homes to see or a no. free market analysis or anything like that? No, we're just reminding them that we're here in the real estate business. It's very low piece. Now, our, yeah, correct. We do have some other ways of that, of call to action. Okay, and in, in the newsletter or somewhere else? So we do from time to time have a call to action. You know, if we have, um, so if we're, like for instance, we will say something like, hey, well, a lot of people are coming up, um, not going to listen until next year. So this would be late fall or even early winter. And say, so what we're doing is we're, if you're thinking about moving and want us to come out and just take a look at you and give some advice, feel free to call us. Very low, very low key. Everything in that newsletter is very low key. It's a little bit about real estate, a lot just about folksy stuff. And uh, we, we do not put a lot of stuff. The stuff we put a call to actions would be our mid-month email. All right, let's hold off. We're going to go okay. to that. Before we do, I want to finish newsletter. How much does the newsletter cost for you to mail out? You know how much it is per piece? So it's it's right at a dollar a piece. And that's so mail. And the mail is about a buck. Yep. And that's having someone else do all the all the work. Hundred percent. And yep. when you were doing it yourself, do you remember what the cost was? It was very close to a buck. It was pretty close to it. So you would recommend <laughs> yeah. somebody farm this out? Oh, absolutely, one hundred percent. I would just start that way. I mean, the only thing is just make sure your list, because whatever list you send them is what they're sending out. The advantage of doing it yourself was, you know, uh, when we had doubles or whatever, a lot of times we would catch it. Uh, but if you, whatever you send them, they're gonna they're gonna send that. <laughs> they're gonna just process. Uh, very good. Uh, one more thing there. You said eleven hundred. Uh, who's in that? That's your sphere of influence. Past clients sounded like it also included your buyer agent sphere of influence. Does it include your team members, like your administrative staff sphere? So they have a very small staff and, uh, you know, of course we can't pay them on referrals, but they're expected to have a certain amount of referrals. Um, but it's very small in their case. Yeah. It's, I would say 10 to 15 people, maybe each, maybe 20, you know, um, very small. But that's a source of business. I wanted people to pick up on that. Well, absolutely. Now, now let's, so we've got three parts to your monthly plan, your annual plan, but your monthly plan to get out to your sphere. Let's go to part two. And that is the, the monthly uh, mid-market, what do you call it, mid-month market update? So it's just called a market update, and uh, it can be called anything. We took another agent who was doing something, um, and we put the market statistics. We have links to the Memphis Area Association of Realtors, different stats that you can go to and get really in-depth. So, so this is market. an email. This is an email being sent out? It's an email being sent out. And we use, I think we use MailChimp on this, um, but you could use anybody. And then, you know, what says in there is it's um, upcoming listings. And so on that, it'll be a description. It'll be, it'll be specific enough that you know where the house is, 
but it'll be vague enough um, where we could get different calls on it, right? So uh, it'll say something like East Memphis with a pool, 400,000. So no address. You're giving them oh, the no, idea, no but no address. Absolutely no address. That's so they'll call. Well, so they'll call, and so the owners don't sit there and call us and say, what are you talking about? My house is not listed for a month. So because we're sending this out, it's going to be good for a month. We're talking about things that are a week to three weeks out. So. Good. So what else is in that email? You said some stats on some sales and some marketing. It's just stats on our sales. And then we'll have a call to action like, hey, we need some houses in this area uh, for our buyers. Of course, we'd like to list the houses ourselves, but uh, we're still looking for our buyers. Um, and uh, let's see. So we've got the, oh, our feature listing. So we'll have one listing that we're trying to prop up. That's for two reasons, of course, to get the word out about that listing and so the owner will know we're doing something. You know, now, right now, uh, it's interesting. We average listing about 1.5 houses a, a week, and we have two listings that are active. They're active, not contingent or pen, pending right now. You know, so that's pretty easy now. It's just the one we have, right? <laughs> um, so we'll put information on that. And then if we're doing something new, we'll put it in there. Um, we send that because it doesn't cost anything. We send that out to a much wider sphere. So we go don't, to? so it goes out to, if you've contacted the house team and you haven't said, stop sending me stuff, you're going to get an email from us. So that's the people that, you know, uh, come through Zillow, the people that come to open houses, the people, people who've done anything, they're getting this email. And so we don't include our, information about um we don't include our information about our upcoming events in there because you'll end up with a lot of we've done that before and we end up with a lot of people from title companies and lenders that we don't even use <laughs> and bought them a free dinner <laughs> so how many people are you emailing out to each month it's about two thousand about 2,000, so almost twice as big as your core groups yes. of, of past yes. clients and sphere of influence. Yes. Okay, and um, how do you define that? How do you know who to keep in the general group and who to keep in your, your tight-knit sphere group? Okay, so, so we have three levels of, well, four members. One, sphere of influence is just everybody else, okay? If we've got your number, we'll just send you something, right? So our top three groups, is, which is what gets our newsletter, which gets invited to everything who we call uh, four times a year, is we've got one group, we call it our advocates, which is those are people that send us more than one deal a year. And there's, zero, there, there's a zero chance if they sold their house, they wouldn't use us. They would use us. You know, they 100% chance they'll use us. And then the other one is house team supporters. So our supporters are people that 100% would use us. So well, ninety-five percent. You know, we feel like they're going to use us, and then, um, and they're going to send us something, somebody eventually. And then the third group is people that we think there's a ninety percent chance they will use us to list our house, but they may or may not ever send us anybody. And that's just our house team friend. We just call it friends and family. I mean, fr uh, clients and friends, clients and friends. So that's a group. Um, they're still going to use us, but they're never going to send us anybody. Some of those people, it's a very uh, low uh, connection, and some of those people just don't have it in them. They could never work, even though they love you. We've got people that when they go on vacation, if they see something that reminds them of me, they'll buy it for me and bring it to me from vacation. In 15 years, they've never sent me anybody because they don't have it in them. If anybody asked them, they'd say, I would never, you should use Chuck House. You're crazy if you don't. But they don't. They don't have it in them to butt into somebody's conversation and say, you've got to call that. Sure. It's just not their personality, mm, but they're all, right. they are loyal to you and they're going to come back to repeat. So they're absolutely, repeaters. and their parents and their, their kids and their brothers will use us, you know, but it's not going to be, you know, yeah, absolutely. So but you have, to have a level. Do you market differently to the three different levels? A little bit, a little bit. So we have a, a dinner for our, our advocates. Um, and then we invite them. Uh, so we're season ticket holders for the Gri Memphis Grizzlies. And so um, we will, for everybody that has sent us somebody so far in the year, then we'll invite them to uh, a, a 
box for the game, uh, a, a particular game. How many people are in the advocate group? Huh, we've got four. Four. That's yep. perfect. That, that, that shows how selective you are. Uh, how many people are in the next group? I'm trying to remember. It starts with an S. So our supporters. Supports. I couldn't read my writing. So our supporters, uh, it's about 400. About 400. And, and so about, then the last group is about six, 700. About, about 600 right now, maybe 700. And it's the, the you know, clients and friends. So if, someone, if someone's a new person, so say we meet them, they call in on something. Well, we put them in that group. Okay, so they're going to get the newsletter. They're going to get – so we try to make everything really simple. So if we're, talk, we're going to have an eight-touch program over eight weeks, well, we've got six of the eight touches already if we don't do anything else. So they're – you know, and then we reevaluate them after 90 days and after six months. And then after that, you know, if they stay in, they stay in, you know, because after that, um, if they haven't – so a key to getting them off the list, if they buy a house from somebody else, they're probably coming off the list. You know, sure. Uh, and that, that happens, of course. In that group, it happens because it's a it's a weaker affiliation. There Whereas the supporters be and advocates, right? it never happens. <laughs> you if you do something to supporters or advocates, you've messed something up. Well, let's let. Thank you for doing that. Let's finish up now with the three things you do for for your your marketing to your past clients and sphere. You you mentioned you got the newsletter, you got the um, the monthly updates, market update, and then you also said you got four events a year. What kind of events are you doing and when are you doing them? Well, so um, we do a, uh, so our first event of the year is we have, Mike, the number one Groundhog Day Fiesta in Memphis. Nobody has a better Groundhog Day Fiesta than us. Sweet. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's one. I'm pretty sure there's one and ours is it. But anyway, so we have that and, um, you know, it's to a local uh, Mexican restaurant and, uh, you know, Mexican restaurants tend to be very affordable. And so we do have beer, margaritas and Cokes and waters. And, uh, it ends up about $15 a person, $16 a person all in with, with the broom, the food, the tip, everything. Well, how many people you invite? Well, we invite everybody. So we invite 900 to a thousand people. How many people show up? we've constantly had between a hundred and 120 people. Okay. So you're inviting that 1100 and I'm sorry, how many people show up? 150? About 120, about 110 120. to 120. 120. So just over about 12%, just over 10% or so. Are about 10%. Show up. Yeah. Yeah. About 10%, 11%. Do you have a cutoff? I mean, you're only going to have so many seats. And so if they don't get in, that's it. So it's 120. You know, it's never been a problem. I will tell you our first year we had like, well, of course we had a smaller database, but our first year we had 17 people. Our second year we had 55, you know, so it kind of grew. And now our first year to have over a hundred, we have one room reserved and just through sheer luck, there was another room that had one of those dividers that we could move real quickly <laughs> and we did very quickly because we were crushed with people but that was a great problem to have and you know um you know the key is we usually spend a little under twenty dollars a person per event and that's of course not per database person but person that shows up um right so the other thing that i found when i did this now the next event is we do a summer movie which a lot of people are doing now and uh then the next event was we do a uh, Memphis Tigers tailgate uh, party for before a game. So um, we just happened to have a really great tailgate spot, and uh, we tailgate every game anyway. So we just invite them. We normally have maybe 40, 50 people come to that. Uh, the movie's the biggest one. We had 155 people come. The only thing we require an RSVP is we do have a pie day. Um, we've kind of gone back and forth between Christmas and Thanksgiving. Um, this past year we had it Thanksgiving. It turned out really well. And we found a Mennonite uh, natural bakery. Um, it was a little far away. It was like 40, 30 miles outside of town. But it was a kind of something special. It's fine to get them Costco. One of the biggest agents that I know, they get Costco pies. But we do go the extra step and get the, the 
It's called Backerman's uh, Bakery. And uh, so you have to RSVP of that. So we'll know what kind of, I think there's three different kinds of pies. Now, what we did on that to actually make it an event rather than just hand out pies is we have it for like two and a half hours only. And then we have hot chocolate, coffee, and then we buy some extra pies and cut them up into little pieces that you could, that are put a um, um, toothpick in. Like an so, order. Yeah. So they can try several different, they can try all the ones they didn't order. Um, and, you know, we normally have around 80 to 100 PPP, and we end up with 10 or so people that RSVP that, well, we had about 20 people, about, about 20% of the people RSVP and then don't come. And then about 10% of the people come and didn't RSVP. So we end up with a few extra pies and we give out some pies to people that did not RSVP. So I'm, I'm looking at this and doing the math of what you're saying. You're basically spending one to two, maybe as high as $3,000 per event. So let's average it around two. You're doing four a year. That's 8,000 bucks. Uh, you mentioned earlier your commission average commission is nine grand. So we're talking about one closing. We'll pay for all these events and this yep. is funding 70% of your business, 75, 76 closings a year. Yep. So when you add it up, it's, it's a little over $700,000 total all in, including all the mailings, all the gift cards, all the stuff we spend about 23 to 24,000 on our database. So that's an incredible return. Yeah, that's a great ROI. Um, we're about to leave this event thing, but I want to point out again that you mentioned the powerful part of events is the invitation. You're inviting all these people. Absolutely. And whether they all show up or not doesn't matter. You want them to be there, but if they don't show, it's okay because they got the invite and the wrap-up. You do a wrap-up the following month. So you're still making two uh, contacts at least and maybe three if they show up. The invitation, how are you sending out the invitation and inviting these people in? Is it going out by mail, by email? What are you doing there? So actually it's both. Um, we send out a uh, to the Groundhog Day Fiesta. We have a, uh, a postcard because our Groundhog Day Fiesta, our invitations, well, I wish I had one. Our invitations are so great that people probably collect them. Um, but anyway, so we send those out, and then we do have a follow-up email only to our database. Um, and then to our, uh, let's see, so our movie, it's a postcard. It's got something about the movie. We have to go through a licensed person to make sure we get the licenses right because they'll have the, you know, a lot of times a logo over the movie. But anyway, they, they take the postcard companies take care of all that. And so we do send that out. Um, and one of the things we try to do, it depends on how busy we are, frankly, you know, is we should call all of them the month before also, because it's a great way. You're always thinking I should call my database. Well, this is, but hey, hey, do you want to buy real estate? Do you want to sell real estate? That's kind of an awkward call, and you're going to be that guy. Well, when you call them and say, I want to make sure you got your invitation to the movie, it's a, you know, it's a welcome call. So, um, but frankly, that happens about half the time that we actually do call them beforehand. Afterwards, for whatever reason, it's a little bit easier. Because um, you're planning the thing, I'm not sure why. But anyway, so we do send that out a postcard. The uh, tailgate is an e email only um, invitation, um, and the pie day is a is an email, and it's actually an invitation because they choose the kind of pie they want um, because it's too messy to. Um, On the other side of the event, one last question here: When you do the wrap up call or the wrap up send out or contact what is that are you sending out are you putting pictures on facebook and just directing them over there by an email what is the wrap-up contact the oh no it's a it's a call event? we do we do have them on our website we don't do a great job of getting the pictures the best we've done and i, I recommend everybody do this is hire a, a student that's pretty good at photography take pictures and, and post them up there we normally pay about fifty dollars and they do that we don't do that every time just because we don't know you know, just, you know, things slip through, but, uh, no, we call them, uh, and we end up calling, um, we call everybody was there and then we call a few people that weren't there and getting back to your point. Now you obviously knew this better than I did, but the way I figured that out about the invitation, I had somebody stop me in a public place 
and say, hey, thanks so much for the invitation. Sorry I didn't come. And I was a little bit disappointed. And then it occurred to me later that, hey, that person's been thinking about me enough to come up and apologize. So the invitation is the thing that you're 100% right on that. It's in every case you're 100% right. It's just another touch. It is. Uh, but it's even more powerful than a touch, right? Because we're talking about the law of reciprocity. You yep. give something to someone, they want to give something back. That person yep. felt an obligation to give you something back. If it was just an apology, something yep. had to be given back to you. Yeah, that was amazing. I was, I was just shocked, you know. And then after that, I realized that, and then people, if you keep doing the same things over and over again, year to year, people are in, in, anticipating. In fact, people are asking me this year, hey, what are you going to do about your movie? And honestly, we don't have an answer for them yet. I mean, uh, the only alternative we have right now is to rent a movie, a drive-in movie theater, which we pay about $11.50 a person. We had 155 people come last year for uh, a movie, uh, popcorn, and a Coke. Okay. And then they let us uh, do a little speech beforehand, very, very short, just thanking everybody for the great year. And then they do let us give out candy um, small candy bags with our um, logo stuff and our insurance agents and our lenders logo stuff on it. But candy also, they let us do that. Normally that's probably not, they're supposed to, but the, the problem with the, uh, the, the drive-in is they'll only let us rent the entire, there's four screens. There's only one in Memphis and there's four screens. So that's really expensive. Plus they'll only allow 50 to 80 cars per screen. I feel like we probably would never run out, but you don't know. Whereas we do a movie in the morning, you know, and we're renting one movie theater out, but if we overflow, we can go to another one. But this would be, you know, we can have people drive up and not be able to get in. So that's out besides the cost. So we're trying to find a local park that shows movies like some of the malls do. And just instead of doing it only on Thursday night, they'll do it on Wednesday night for us. And then we'll pay for it. And then Thursday night, they'll do it for their, the mall or whatever. The heck, you know, whatever, something they're already doing. We're trying to piggyback on something that somebody's already doing. We have not found that place yet. And I have somebody, you know, our marketing person that's looking into it. But we haven't found it. It's just everything's different for a minute here, you know? <laughs> yeah, you'll have to be creative in our new world here. I was thinking maybe you do a, a Zoom movie where you all join in on a Zoom call and watch a movie. I, I don't know how you would go about that. But there's some, you'll come up with a creative answer. The yeah. key is those invitations and getting people involved and Absolutely. letting them know you care about them. And you're doing a great job of that. And it's obviously paying off, not only in feeling good, but in your, your finances. The question I want to ask you is, what drives you? You know, it sounds kind of hokey, but what drives me is, you know, I just love helping people. Because two reasons. One, I think that's probably my personality. But then once I found out that when I help people, <laughs> my business went up, that, you know, uh, that's just made it really, really easy to do. And frankly, I like real estate anyway. I did real estate without getting paid before I was a realtor. So, um, you know, I, I'm doing something I really like doing and I'm helping people, which I like doing, and then it's profitable. So it's, it's you know, I mean, we're able to now go out of town quite a bit. In fact, we were uh, fortunate enough because we saw the COVID thing to go into rush down to the beach and then they locked everything down. So we're there when they locked down. And then of course we came home later and then we were able to be there the first day they opened back up, you know? So, I mean, because we're able to go on vacation right now, six or seven times a year. Um, Part of the reason that is financial, but the other reason is because our organization runs so well that the week we went out of town, then we had eight closings, we had three listing appointments, um, our director of marketing went on those and took them, and we had uh, wrote three buyer's agents, three buyer's contract. One was our buyer's agent, and two was actually my wife who wrote them with um, you know one of our licensed agents just showing them the house, and we did it you know, just while we're down at the beach. So, you know, anybody that complains about the real estate business, I have no sympathy for them. <laughs> There's a way to mold it to the lifestyle that you want. Yeah. That's correct. Yes. That is fantastic. 
Well, well Chuck, uh, if an agent uh, was just getting in the business and you need, you were going to advise them, what would you tell a brand new agent just getting in the business? What would you tell them to do first? Well, I would tell them two things. Learn your craft and contact the people that know, like, and trust you and get them. Because, And frankly, be willing to start working more with buyers than listings to begin with. But then, you know, then start getting listings. But it, if you're not sending out something and calling the people that know, like, and trust you, you're not serious about this business. If you don't know 80 people, you shouldn't be in it. You can ask them, who should I know? And one key to that is I always mention is, you know, contact, put the people in that list that would be in a position, if they didn't have a house, to buy a house you'd like to sell. Uh, you know, if you're really, really young, you might want to call your parent, your the parents of the people you know. Um, but call people that already know, like, and trust you. Get them on a newsletter. Get them to agree to be on a newsletter. Say, I just want to, you know, give you some information about the real estate business um, and just stay in touch with you. Would you mind? Tell them you'll send them every so often. Don't even tell them every month. Um, and uh, if you do that within a year, you'll be doing great business. Well, Chuck, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners? No, just you're, you've chosen, if you're in real estate, you've chosen a great business and you just, what you want to do, in my opinion, is you want to make it work for you. Um, and we've been able to, before it was fine. I had a nice business. I made a decent living, you know, everything was fine. But since we started planning it and since we started following the plan and paying attention, doing things intentionally, we've had a, a great life and, um, you know, you can do the same thing if you just plan it and do some, you know, get training. So you'll learn to learn the trade, not the tricks of the trade. Very good, Chuck. Well, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Mike. Uh, thank you, Chuck. Well, that's it for now. Thanks for joining us on Success Calls. Keep moving forward. Bye. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at freeleadtime.com. That's freeleadtime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.